tabernacle. Uh, in Exodus chapter 25, starting in verse 23, which in the Pew Bible is found on page 66, we'll read 23 through 30. Instructions on how to make the, uh, the table. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it a hand breadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense, and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings, you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall, sh and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brian. As we go along, I invite you to, uh, to also have your bulletin uh, open. You'll see a, a place there for notes and some images, uh, some sketches of what uh, the tabernacle looks like, the whole courtyard and tent, and then the Ark of the Covenant and the uh, mercy seat. You know, I try to be accurate. And I want to uh, always be truthful to you. I was uh, called out last week for making reference to the Temple of Doom instead of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I correct that. Uh, totally wrong. Wow. And then this morning, uh, the table and the bread of presence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this time of worship. Thank you for uh, times, even this morning, where there have been tears shed and hugs given for folks in great need, concern for loved ones, having to leave quickly. Those here now, Lord, who've returned from saying goodbye to loved ones uh, who have passed on to glory. Lord, there are some here I know that are, are struggling to make ends meet, right? to keep a roof over their heads and food on the table, to, to pay the bills. And so, Lord God, we come with, with many and variety of needs and concerns. Turn our attention to you now. And I pray that the words I've prepared on these pages would somehow be used by you supernaturally to bring a word of grace and peace and blessing into your people's hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're studying the blueprint that God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai to build a, a dwelling place for Yahweh, a mobile sanctuary called a tabernacle, a, a holy tent that was to be set up smack dab in the middle of the encampment of Israel, the children of Israel, as they ventured out through the wilderness for 40 years. And in this tabernacle, God was fulfilling his promise to be present and to provide for his people. If you're taking notes, you could write down present or presence and provision or provide. Those would be the, the key words this morning, if I was a, uh, a Pentecostal pastor, I might say, church, tell, say present. 
to someone next to you. Say, provide. You're going to hear that a lot today. You have a little rasp in my voice. Think of a hard time in your life. Did you ever ask, where are you, God? How about, will you help me, God? Certainly those two questions, where are you, God? Will you help me, God? Would have been on the minds and the lips of these people who left everything in Egypt to venture out into the unknown. And the answer to these questions were addressed by the living God in providing the design and the building of this tabernacle, the very dwelling place of God with his people. God's promised presence dwelling in this mobile temple. God's promised provision in the desert. Even when the people were grumbling against his leaders would point forward to the ultimate grace, presence, and provision in the coming of Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going later in the service, in the sermon to John chapter 6. But in John chapter 1, verse 14, John is, is aware of the tabernacle. He knows this language. He is a Jew. So the apostle John, as he writes these words, John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, The word, the logos... The beginning of all things became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally the word there, he tabernacled. He pitched his tent. He was present with us. And we beheld his glory. The ultimate provision of God the Father by sending his Son. We beheld his glory. The only begotten from the Father, full of everything that we need. What do we need? Grace and truth. So we've already covered a couple of those first elements last week that foreshadow God's uh, God sending his son, this plan of salvation for the Israelites. When they see the tabernacle, it was a, an opportunity for them also to see God's plan of salvation, although it was still veiled of, of exactly how it was all going to work out uh, with the coming of, of Jesus, the Messiah. But this was a time and a place for them to commune with the Lord. And I told you last week that we began in the most holy of places, the holy of holies, that God's going to design this from the inside out. So there's a tent. He moves outside the tent, just or outside the first room in the tent, to a place called the most holy place. And there we see a table overlaid in gold, not much larger than a coffee table, but solid gold, with plates and dishes and bowls and pitchers. And what does that remind you of? A table. What does that remind you of? Maybe a dining table? When I was growing up, not much older than the fifth graders that were here this morning, probably started earlier than, than fifth grade, my main job was setting the table. And each night in my home, uh, everyone was home for dinner. I don't know how things have changed so dramatically, but in our house, the TV was always on. That that's probably hasn't changed for, for many folks. Uh, but we had dinner together nearly every single night growing up. And, and the work of setting the table, the plates, the silverware, salt and pepper shaker, there was a certain sense of anticipation 
of the family coming together. My brothers sitting in their assigned seats. And my mom and dad at the head of the table. Now, in this case, it could be the table is just a table, but when I read these words and think about my own past, I think of this sense of presence, of God dining with us and being present to us. I certainly think that way when I see our communion table each week. This table, as I said, was not very big, three feet long, acacia wood gold with rings just like the ark that they could put poles through to to carry. Drop down to verse 30 if you're still looking at the text. Uh, Verse 30 says, you shall set the bread of presence on the table for me regularly. Now we don't get much more than the description here, this bread of presence, but it's referred to uh, a number of times in the Old Testament and in fact the New Testament. Leviticus chapter 24 verses 5 to 7, if you'd like to turn there, gives us the most detailed description. It, it details how this bread was prepared, how it was made of this fine flour. It was known as the bread of presence or also called the show bread. It was prepared by the priest uh, with fine flour. It was seasoned with frankincense and, and the bread was baked most likely unleavened bread into to 12 loaves that would be set on in two piles uh, on the plates, that might be imaged in your, in your bulletin, I'm not sure. Is it in there? Is there a picture of the bread on the plates? Just the plates. Well, just imagine the bread is on those plates, uh, Sue. One loaf representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this bread could only be eaten by Aaron and his sons. That is, the, the priest of Israel. And they would eat the bread on the Sabbath. So fresh bread was baked by the priests. They were bakers and laid out each week throughout the week in this most holy place. The people were aware of it. They couldn't see it, but they knew that it was there. And then at the end of the week, the old bread was consumed by the priests and fresh bread was laid out. And only the priests were allowed to eat the bread. And you can look to, I think it's 2 Samuel 6, about David and his men, uh, super hungry, racing in, getting some of that bread. But that's for another, another message. So what does this table and this special bread refer to? What's going on here? There's a reference to the Lord's uh, a food offering of some sort. What does that mean to us? In ancient times, and certainly in fact in today's world, there are religions where there are food offerings to the gods where people prepare special food and and offerings. It could be bread, it could be uh, alcohol, fresh fruit, the lighting of incense. Religions then, as of now, people would have temples, even within their own homes, and little altars to give an offering, to seek a blessing or, or a help or an assurance from their gods. Is that what this bread of presence represents? Does the living God, the one true almighty God, need a food offering in this place to please him? Well, the answer is clearly no. The God of the Old Testament, the God that the Jews worship and the Christians worship, needs nothing from us. You'll notice in this description, this great detail we've been looking at, there's no graven image 
of God, even though God is present in this place. And so the food offering is not for God, but quite to the opposite. A thousand years later, the Apostle Paul is in Athens, and he's speaking to uh, these Athenians, these Greeks, these philosophers and, and thinkers, these Gentiles. And he says to them in Acts chapter 17, he says, you know, I've noticed as I've walked around your great city that there are temples to all the gods. But then there is one place, a marker for the unknown God. And so, because they wanted to, of course, cover all their bases, right? They want to make sure that if, if, every single God that there's covered, and if there's an unknown God, we want to have a temple uh, for that deity as well. And Paul says, you know, I know who that unknown God is. I'm going to make him known to you and by his name. And then he says these words in 24, 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, who does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. Now notice there's something interesting because we're talking about a temple, a tabernacle built by, by men, but there's something new that comes with Jesus. It's, he, he's not served, he says, as though he needed anything th since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What is Paul saying? Paul is proclaiming we are utterly dependent on God for everything, not the other way around. God does not need our offering to worship him. God does not need anything material from us. And so the food offering was a symbol, but indeed it was a symbol, it was a reminder that it is God who provides all our need. The table stood in God's presence. The bread presented each week was God's provision. Imagine if you are an Israelite and you're traveling with your family in the desert. And what a lovely thing to have a blanket like these children demonstrated in the skit. There are no blankets. Very little resources. And yet, your leadership says each and every week, we will provide a food offering that will remind us that God has provided all that we need. Look in your bulletin at the call to worship. We said this at the beginning of the service. From Psalm 111, verse 5, He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. God's presence, God's provision is at the very heart of the worship of the Jews. And it's at the very heart of our own worship today. And what was that bread called? The bread of presence. Again, God is present to each and every tribe in Israel, represented by those 12 loaves that were set out on the table. And God's covenant provision for his people to remind them through the priests, God will meet our needs. God will meet our daily needs. When we're out here and we say, where are you, God? This table will remind us he's present. He promised to be here with us, to dine with us, to dwell with us. But friends, there is a deeper lesson that I want you to take away this morning. Listen, God wants you and I to learn this morning 
that what we really need is himself. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we read the first of three farewell speeches by Moses. The book of Deuteronomy is, is basically Moses giving his farewell address in three uh, stages to the children of Israel. He knows he's not going to make it to the promised land. He knows that the first generation traveling all that way in the desert will not make it into the promised land. And with great emotion, there's anguish, there's joy, there's tears, there's memories of all the battles fought and won and all of the, the pain and suffering that went through this time in the desert. He wants to prepare the next generation for what's coming. A generation that, that didn't know the struggle of what it was like to be slaves. And so he says these words in chapter 8, verses 2 to 4, to the children of Israel, the next generation. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. It took Moses 40 years to figure that out. That's why we're still out here. God in his wisdom has led us into this wilderness and we're going in circles because we have to learn the lesson to trust him, to put our faith in him. Again, he says, he humbled you, continuing verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. End quote. When have we ever heard those words before? Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word of the Lord. Where have you heard that before? Jesus, in his 40 days in the wilderness, when he was being tempted by the devil? Hunger is a powerful motivator. Just ask anyone who's tried to diet. When we're hungry enough, we'll do almost anything for food, for calories. To, to meet that hunger. What if we were as hungry for God's presence as much as we desire the things in this world? What if we were so hungry for God's bread, his, his written word and his living word, as we are for the, the pleasures of life? You know when you're physically hungry, but can you identify the empty spots in your heart and soul, even in this hour. Those places that are starved for God's presence, for God's provision in your own life. And when we're hungry, we, we gurgle and grumble, don't we, in our stomachs. But, but what is the grumbling that comes out of our mouths? What is the source of that? Could it be an empty place right here that's not being met even though we keep trying to fill it. Do we not know that, that Jesus is the bread of life? 
that Jesus promises to quench our spiritual thirst, sometimes God leads us into desert places to test us. And sometimes God allows us to be spiritually hungry in order to call us back to himself to feed on what will satisfy. It was true, Moses knew, we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it's also a true lesson in the New Testament. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, page 891 in your pew Bible. The people in Jesus' day had the same problem. They wanted to ask him for more food, but they weren't interested in himself, in him. And so we read in John chapter 6, page 891, that Jesus fed the 5,000. This incredible miracle. And the next day, John writes that the people came looking for him, searching for him, but they missed the point of his teaching. They wanted more bread. They only wanted, though, what Jesus could provide for them. They did not want him himself on his terms. And so he says, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Verse 27, do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. The people want to know how much. What do we need to do to earn this bread? Just tell us how much it will cost. They still don't get it. God doesn't need anything from them. So Jesus says in verse 29, you want to know the work of God? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And the people still don't get it. They demand a sign from Jesus. And they say to him, you know, Moses provided bread in the wilderness for our forefathers, what sign do you bring, Jesus? Look at verse 33, his response. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Let me be more clear. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And do you know what their reaction was? They grumbled. Their stomachs were grumbling, but now they're grumbling verbally because there's something empty here that they're not getting satisfied. And then the Lord says, drop down to verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats up this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus was talking 
about his body that he would offer on the cross to save sinners. And his message was very simple. All you really need is me standing right in front of you. I'm the bread of life, a staple of survival, the eternal source of life. I am the one who can satisfy a hungry soul. If you believe, you will live forever. And how did most of the people react to this message? Jesus' fans, every one of them, who'd come out to hear him teach and celebrate him. How did many of his disciples react? They grumbled more, and John writes, many of them walked away. These were people who came to seek Jesus out. And yet at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus is kind of angry at them for coming back the next day for more food. Can you imagine Jesus being angry at someone who's coming to seek him out? Why would that upset him so much? Because they were seeking what they could get out of him. They wanted bread. And we want money or health or job security or prosperity. They came to him not to worship him, but to scratch an itch. Maybe they came for the festival, the spectacle. Maybe they came for the fellowship. Maybe they came to make meaning in their life of serving others. Maybe they came to feel good about themselves. But friends, none of these things are at the heart of discipleship. The heart of discipleship is surrender to the one who has the words to eternal life. And I'm afraid too many people that come to church for worship come for the wrong reasons. Nielsville, I'll see you at Christmas time when Steve puts on that big music program again. That's, that's going to be awesome. That's not worship. People used to pay me a compliment in Minneapolis where they'd say, when are you preaching next so that I can be sure to come? That is not a compliment. I want to get fed. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And to come and to believe is to surrender and to follow him completely on his terms. And so, the table, the bread of the tabernacle was pointing to Christ himself. He was the fulfillment of the bread of presence under the old covenant. But Christ was a far better form of bread than this old bread. This old bread was reserved for the priests. The people wouldn't even see it, let alone taste it. And it was meant only for the 12 tribes, only for the bloodline, only for those pure, 100% kosher. The Jewish people. Jesus ushers in a new covenant that is meant for every tribe and every nation. He says the kingdom of God is like 
of a master who sends out his servants, go out to all the roads, the byways, north, south, east, and west. Bring them in to the feast with the king. And so then as now, God was fulfilling his covenant promise to be present and to provide for his people. So when you cry out, where are you, God? I know when I cry that out, I'm, I'm asking, God, is there true intimacy that I can experience, uh, that I'm missing? Is there companionship? Is there community that will be with me to the very end? Through faith, he says, I am present to you. I am in the center of this community, and by my spirit, I am keeping us all together. His answer is, I am here in Nielsville, in the wilderness, in this hard place that I'm calling you to be in for a reason. When we ask, he says, I am present. And when we pray, will you help me, Lord? His word and his spirit answer that there is a storehouse in heaven with grace uncountable. Think of all the warehouses that Amazon owns in the world. Nothing could reach the order and the magnitude of the grace that God has in store for those who trust him, who believe in his son. And so it's my prayer that it could be your prayer the words of Paul, the apostle, Philippians 4.13, in which he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And in the context, Paul's not talking about a three-pointer. Paul's not talking about uh, meeting some personal goal. He's talking about discipleship. He's talking about worship, grow, and go. He's saying in all things, in ministry and mission, in a life that surrender to Christ, I can do all things in my weakness because he is my strength. Friends, that's my prayer for you today. That you would know the presence of God and the provision of God in a place in your heart, in your life, where you need it most. That he would speak that word of comfort and truth and challenge even now as we go to prayer. Let's pray. Lord, what a stunning promise, Philippians 4.19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and the glory of Jesus Christ. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. So Lord God, as we're sitting here about to worship more, I pray that in a quiet moment, when we cry out, where are you? Speak into our lives even now. And Lord, in those places where we say, will you help, will you help me? Will you meet my need? Will you speak into that right now? You are the bread of life. We come to do the work that you've prepared for us to worship you to trust you, to believe in you. Please hear our prayer. Amen.